Good evening, you're in tune to KUNM 89.9 FM, and welcome to another edition of Youth Radio. Tonight we'll be featuring two segments about the HIV and AIDS epidemic. Our first piece is an interview about the history, facts, and statistics of AIDS in New Mexico and how it affects youth. Hello, New Mexico. I'm Jaron Kai with KUNM Youth Radio. And with me here tonight are Heather Cowan, a Client Services Assistant Manager, and Ariana Villar, a Family Services Outreach Coordinator for New Mexico AIDS Services. Welcome. Hi. Thank you. Uh, Heather, um, can you give us a little history on uh, what services are provided by New Mexico AIDS Services? Sure. So New Mexico AIDS Services has been around for about 20 years, a little over 20 years. Um, it's totally a grassroots organization, started grassroots, it's still a nonprofit we provide services mostly for people living with HIV and provide education and prevention for the community. So the services we provide are like we have a food bank for people living with HIV. We have a gym. We have we help people with their medical insurance and HIV medications because I'm sure you've heard how expensive they are that one HIV med alone is, can be like three grand a month. So we provide assistance with that. Um, and then we also try to offer a lot of other services to improve quality of life. So like I mentioned, the gym and we have massages and acupuncture and we have lots of fun groups, support groups and educational groups. And like our families, um, you know, we'll go do something fun once a month. This month they're going to Cliffs. Oh, and we can help with housing. So we have um, some facilities ourselves that our clients can live in, but we can also sometimes help people with their rent and utilities if they need it. Um, and then the other thing we provide is certainly if somebody needs something and we can't provide it, we will figure out who can in the community. So those are most of our services. And then, of course, our education and prevention. We provide free condoms for everyone at any time, anytime they need it. We also have a syringe exchange program. We offer lots of educational groups, most of which um, pay a small stipend and you get food. So you show up to a group, learn about HIV or hepatitis C, and get 15 bucks and and dinner. So it's a pretty good, it's a pretty good service, pretty good opportunity. Awesome. Uh, what can you tell us about the history of AIDS? Um, sure. So in case somebody out there doesn't know, HIV stands for the human immunodeficiency virus, and AIDS stands for acquired immune deficiency syndrome. So just from hearing those words, a virus is like a cold or pneumonia, things that, you know, it's a virus, it's a little germ that you get, and then it, it makes you sick, it makes you not feel so good. And syndrome, AIDS has, is a syndrome. So once somebody's had the virus, the HIV virus, for usually about 10 years, then it breaks down their immune system and eventually can cause the AIDS syndrome. So that's why we always explain the difference between HIV and AIDS, because someone can have HIV and be totally healthy. They won't know they have it. You won't know they have it. You can't tell by looking until, like I said, about 10 years later before they would start getting sick and it would turn into AIDS. So the HIV virus gets into your body. It finds your white blood cells or your immune system's happy soldier fighting cells, the cells that specifically alert your body that there's something there that you don't want like a cold virus, like strep throat bacteria, like a fungus or a parasite or any of those things. And HIV attacks those little messenger cells. So it, in, it attaches to those cells, inserts its HIV RNA material, and uses the cells, proteins, and 
DNA to turn in turn to make more copies of HIV to replicate itself multiple times. So after, you know, and, and our bodies are pretty good. Our body recognizes that it doesn't want HIV there. So our body reacts by producing a lot more of these white blood cells. And so over time, though, your body can't keep making those white blood cells because the HIV just attacks those, those same cells. So then over time, all the cells that your body has made, HIV is just taken over to make little HIV factories. So in a normal drop of human blood, somebody who doesn't have a compromised immune system, there's going to be about 1,000 CD4 cells, white blood cells. And then somebody with a compromised immune system, such as after having HIV for many years, then over time it drops slowly and there's no more white, there's less and less white blood cells in the bloodstream. So when it drops from a thousand white blood cells to less than 200 white blood cells is usually when someone gets the diagnosis of AIDS. There's also usually the presence of an opportunistic infection at that point. And we call them opportunistic infections because when somebody's immune system is compromised like that, when they don't have those messenger cells to alert the body that there's something wrong, then these things that normally our immune systems can just completely take care of, keep under control, they no longer are able to. So these viruses and these little bugs and germs and parasites and fungi all have the opportunity then to take over the body and really cause some damage. What about how it transmits? Excellent question, Jarrett. Excellent. So there are basically three ways that someone can get HIV, and there's only five bodily fluids where HIV lives, where there's enough HIV to actually transmit the virus to somebody else. So those five fluids are, do you know any of them? Do you know what one of them is, Jaren? Um, yes. Uh, blood is blood. one. Very good. Yeah. Excellent. Blood. So do you know any others? Uh, any semen, guesses? of course. Semen. Excellent. Blood, semen, I don't know what else. Okay. So then there's also vaginal secretions, anal secretions in both boys and girls, and then breast milk. If a woman is HIV positive and has just had a baby, there will be HIV in her breast milk. The three ways that you get it, well, first of all, the, one of those five fluids has to make it into your bloodstream in order for someone to become infected with HIV. One of those fluids that has HIV in it, let me just clarify that. So one of the fluids that has HIV in it has to get into your bloodstream, and it's going to get into your bloodstream in one of three ways. Um, well, really for adults, it's just two ways because we've all been born. So the first way is from mother to baby, and that's going to be you know, in the womb, during birth, or afterwards during breastfeeding since breast milk is one of those five fluids. Then there's the ways that we have to worry about, unprotected sex and blood-to-blood -blood contact, which would include like the random thing, if you were in a car accident with somebody who had HIV and there was, everyone was cut up and there was blood all over the place, or more commonly, it's sharing equipment for injecting drugs, needles, cookers, cottons, water, those kinds of things. Most of the HIV infections, 80%, are from unprotected sex. So if we've had sex, then most of us have had unprotected sex, which means we have been, we've put ourselves at risk for HIV. Um, the other 20% of HIV infections are the combination of sharing needles or equipment that had blood on it and mother to child. But just a little happy piece of good news, we have only had one baby born with HIV in the state of New Mexico in the last 10 years. 
So prevention, largely condoms or harm reduction for sex and harm reduction for um, other risky practices like surrounding blood and needles. So like the syringe exchange program that I mentioned earlier, that's definitely good harm reduction. And if you're not sharing needles for anything, then you're not putting yourself at risk for HIV that way. If you're only having sex and using condoms, then you're not putting yourself at risk for HIV that way. And then, of course, prevention from for mothers who are positive and having babies or pregnant, um, there's a lot of medical things we can do to keep that baby from being born with HIV. For those who do have HIV, there certainly are a lot of treatments out there. Like I mentioned, they're very expensive. The medication alone can be really expensive, but there's a lot of hope now, which is good. So um, one young lady who has HIV has put it completely succinctly. She says, if you have HIV, you can live powerfully. If you don't have it, you don't want it. And I think that sums it up completely because if you have HIV, you can certainly get on medic medication. You can live a strong, healthy, happy life. But if you don't have it, you certainly don't want to get it because it's not something that's easily controlled. And there certainly are still people who are dying from AIDS in this country. And there is no cure for HIV. Just because you can take a pill to help control it, it's not a cure. It's a, It becomes a chronic disease that you have to then you know, you have to be at the doctor, you have to get blood drawn every three months, every six months, you have to take pills every day, you have to watch what you eat, you have to watch your rest, you have to watch your exercise, which are things that all of us should do to keep us healthy. But when someone has a compromised immune system, it becomes that much more important. And of course, um, one of the posters we have up in our office says, you think a condom is bothersome, try taking 25 pills a day. So, you know, just kind of weighing the, weighing the benefits versus the risks. What about the uh, summary of infections, uh, definitely worldwide and um, here in New Mexico? Certainly. So since 1981, which is when we really identified HIV and AIDS, excuse me, 25 million people have died from AIDS since 1981. And this is equal to 25 cities the size of the whole Albuquerque metro area. So it's not just within city bounds either. It includes like the South Valley and the North Valley and the West Side and all of those things. Um, currently, people living with HIV as of last year is 39.5 million. Last year, 3.8 million adults were infected with HIV. And last year, there were 2.3 million children under 18 living with HIV in 2006. The scariest statistic of all is that about 25% of people living with HIV in this country do not know they have it. They are unaware of their infection, either because they haven't been tested or they haven't been tested in a while. And there's about 1.2 million people living with HIV in the states right now. So since those 25% of people, so one in four, that's one in four people living with HIV don't know they have HIV. Because of the 25% of the cases, which is about 300,000 people in the states, about 70 percent of all new HIV infections every year in this country are actually transmitted by that 25% of people who have HIV but don't know they have it. They're unaware of their infection. So, of course, you know, a lot of people maybe still think that HIV is a gay disease, that it only affects gay men. And this isn't true. There's definitely a rise in HIV cases reporting heterosexual risk as their only risk factor. Um, and worldwide, women actually now exceed men in terms of people who are infected with HIV. Um, 
And of course, females are at greater risk than men if they're heterosexuals of contracting HIV because it, the virus goes easier from men to women. And if you just think about bodily fluids and how our anatomy is, I think that it'll make sense. All right. So, um, however, New Mexico, we're always still a little bit behind the curve um, in trends. So New Mexico, the majority of our cases are actually still among men who have sex with men, gay or bisexual men. Oh, yeah. But our current trends do show an increase in the number of young women of color who are being diagnosed positive. So if that doesn't make sense to people out there, I just want to say that... The people who are testing right now, if they're younger, they're going to be women and they're going to be Latino or Hispanic mostly or African-American or Native American. So our young women of color in New Mexico are at increased risk of getting HIV. And of course, also that that's that's also true for young gay men of color, like young gay or bisexual men, um, especially Latinos. Um, so there's actually New Mexico Aid Services and the Department of Health is currently working on an ad campaign to, to encourage more Latino and Hispanic men to get tested for HIV, regardless of their sexual orientation. And then, of course, from the state of New Mexico, half of all HIV AIDS cases statewide are in Bernalillo County because this is where most of our people are. So if you're in Albuquerque and you're having unprotected sex, you're way more likely to come in contact with somebody who has HIV than if you're in Laguna Pueblo, for example. Um, Adriana, what are the conditions of HIV among youth? Well, youth are those members of the population who, in this case, are considered those people who are between 13 and 24 years of age. But the risk for HIV among youth is directly affected also by two factors in their lives. Um, right now, youth are disproportionately affected. And these two factors that um, are affecting the risk is the age at first intercourse, which determines how early the risk begins to occur, as well as uh, the number of sexual partners, which determines how much the risk is occurring. But I also wanted to say that it's why we're talking about this at all is because half of all new infections in the country are occurring people under 24. And I know that Adriana was going to talk more about this later, but I just wanted to make sure that the youth who are listening out there understood why we were even here and why we were on the show and why we were talking about this. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, definitely something that youth need to be looking out for because it's um, disproportionately affecting this age group. And I'm just going to quickly go through some statistics that summarize HIV among youth, um, not only in New Mexico, but in the country as well and in general. So in Bernalillo County, the rate of sexual activity, uh, at least um, in 2003, we found that a third of the students uh, were currently active and almost half of all students had already had sex. So and then 2005, um, it turned out that basically one out of every 10 students had already had sex by the time they were 13 years old. So um, we also found that half of all sexually active students don't use condoms. So the difference is that students who have had sex at all, and then the difference between that and the ones who are currently sexually active, means that currently sexually active uh, includes students who have had sex in the last three months. So for those who are currently sexually active, half of them are not using condoms. And it seems also that males are more likely to be sexually active than females. But we're also seeing that females are less likely to use condoms. So when we begin to put the pieces together and compare to national trends, 
then we begin to see more and more what the reality of risk is here, which isn't a very um, a very isn't a very comforting reality. So. Again, um, sometimes, for example, I'll tell students, you know, we have a national trend where 50% of the new infections are young people, where we're seeing that young women of color who identify as heterosexual are at an increased risk, where we see that nationally the virus transmits easier from males to females. And then we look closer to home, young people, half of them sexually active, about 2 in 10 not using condoms, then we begin to see more and more how this combination of conditions um, sets us in, in, a, in a compromised position and increases the risk for HIV. And the thing with this is that even one little window of opportunity for the virus allows it to go very far because um, it spreads and you can't see, as Heather mentioned, and that's where um, our challenge uh, is there to be aware, to understand um, the conditions and like one analogy that I use that I tell young people it's as if we're in a war and there's a landmine and they're about to cross it I I would like to bring it to their attention that you know they're pretty close to something that can almost blow up in our face yeah and then you know throughout since the beginning of the AIDS epidemic we found that about 40,000 youth have been diagnosed with AIDS and about 10,000 have died from AIDS so um we're beginning to see that it is having a bigger and bigger devastating effect. So just more about youth to summarize this part is that um, it appears that the infections among young males are higher than among young females, although the number of females is increasing. And especially young men who have sex with men, especially those of minority races or ethnicities, uh, were at high risk for HIV infection. As we mentioned as well, young women, especially minorities, are at high risk for HIV as well. And another group of youth who are considered to be disproportionately at risk are runaways and other homeless young people, um, especially if they're exchanging sex for drugs or money, for example. So the combination of conditions that youth face, um, not only the risk of HIV, but all these other socioeconomic factors, compound the risk, and this is why it's particularly important that we start with um, the parts that we can do, which for us at least is testing and raising awareness, which brings me to the final part is um, mentioning that National HIV Testing Day is coming up. And the importance of testing, obviously, is that it's the only way to know if you're infected, if you've engaged in any of the risk behaviors that Heather mentioned. The only way to know was to get tested because symptoms don't show for years. Uh, but it can show up in a test within three to six months of infection. So an opportunity is coming up on June 27th, which is a Wednesday. Um, it's National HIV Testing Day, and New Mexico Aid Services, which is located in Bernalillo County, is going to be providing free anonymous tests um, with an oral swab. It doesn't involve any blood, and that's on Wednesday, June 27th from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. And it will also be free food. Thank you, Heather. And the toll-free number for more information is 888-882-2437. If you want to get more information about NMAS or we're on the net at www.nmas.net. Or if you're in all other counties in New Mexico, you can call the statewide hotline, the New Mexico Department of Health, and they're at 800-545-2437. And you can call and tell them what county you're in. They'll tell you where you can go to a public health clinic to get tested. 
And finally, if you're listening online, um, there's a national hotline for the Center for Disease Control, the SCD hotline, and that number is 800-232-4636. And again, um, this is a reminder that an ounce of prevention does beat upon a cure, especially when we're referring to HIV, which unfortunately right now there is not a cure. And uh, on that note, I'll conclude. Thank you very much. Thank you, you guys. Um, this has been um, a very informative and um, very needed uh, interview here today. Um, I know not a lot of young people are aware of the issue of HIV or especially how to get tested, where to get tested. And uh, I thank you for coming in and uh, informing the young people of New Mexico because um, I don't think a lot of them realize how much at risk they are. And or how serious an issue HIV still is. And even that they can prevent, uh, you know, being infected. So thank you. Thank you. We're happy to be here. Thank you. Um, for KUNM, I'm Jaren Kai, and my guests today were uh, Heather Cowan and Adriana Villar of the New Mexico Aid Services. Thank you. You're listening to a youth radio special about HIV and AIDS. Next, we have a personal documentary from Radio Diaries about a South African teenager who tells her story about living with AIDS. No country in the world has been harder hit by the HIV-AIDS epidemic than South Africa. More than 5 million South Africans are living with HIV, the virus that causes AIDS. Three-quarters of all new infections are among girls between the ages of 16 and 25. Tembi Ngubane is one of them. She lives in the township of Kailisha, outside of Cape Town, a sprawling sea of houses and shacks made of wood planks, tar paper, and sheets of tin. Tembi was 19 when she first met radio producer Joe Richman. He gave her a tape recorder, and for the past year, she made an audio diary of her life. This is Tembi's story. Testing, one, two, one, two. Test, test, test. Okay. Hi, this is Tembi. It's time for my prayer. Every morning when I wake up, I'll run off to my drawer, take out the mirror, and look at myself. Then I start to do my prayer. I say it every day, every time when I'm feeling angry. Like when you are angry at someone, you always have that thing in you that you need to tell that someone what you feel. I say, hello HIV, you trespasser. You are in my body. You have to obey the rules. You have to respect me. And if you don't hurt me, I won't hurt you. You mind your business, I'll mind mine. Then I'll give you your ticket when your time comes. I never thought I would ever worry about HIV and AIDS. It was the last thing in my mind. Okay, okay right now I'm at the doctor's office. 
Hi. Hello. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? I'm feeling great. You're feeling no, great? No yeah. problem. I'm fine, no problem. Okay, let me just take your weight. Okay. I've known that I'm HIV positive for two years. I'm considered stage four. When you're on stage four, you are not HIV positive anymore. They say you've got AIDS. I see your, your CD4 count. You know what it is, huh? CD4 is an indication of how good your immune system still is. Yes, I know. It was 167 Seven. in March of this year. Yes. Yes. You know it's going down all the time. Yes. Yeah? And when you are below 200, it's dangerous for you. Yes, I know. <laughs> I was very surprised to, to know that my CD4 count was below 200, was 167, and at the same time, I've never been sick. You are very much at risk of getting sick. It's a bit like swimming in a lake where you have crocodiles. Yeah? You can swim some time without getting bitten, but if you stay swimming a long time, at some point, you're gonna get bitten. Okay, I understand. You sure? Yeah, I'm sure. Thank you. Okay, I'm gonna tell you how I was infected. I had this boyfriend and then we broke up. I went my own way, he went his way. A year later, I heard that he had died. When I went to his house, his family was gathered there. I said, what happened? Was he shot or was he stabbed? So his sister told me, no, he was sick. I said, what? She said, he was very thin and he couldn't talk. Then all of a sudden, he just lost a lot of weight. Then I asked her, what if he had AIDS? She said, I don't know. That's when I started to get very worried. So I decided, okay, I'm going to go for a test. I went to the clinic. They bring the, all the equipment in front of me and just break me on my finger. Then 10 minutes passes by. The counselor came back. They say, we need to have another one. He started to do another one and another one. They did all my five fingers. And I started to worry because I thought, hey, why is he testing me like five times? Then he said, okay, now it's time for your report. He said, you know, when your blood looks like this, it means you have the virus. You are HIV positive. And you've been HIV positive for many years. I just stared at him. I said, okay. And now I'm at home. Oh, hi. So, this is Melikai, my boyfriend. Say hi. Hi. I was telling him how cute you look. <laughs> <laughs> My boyfriend's name is Milikai. We live together. We've been together for two years. Okay, play. And Milikai is obsessed with music. Yeah. Hey, come Milikai, let's dance. <laughs> We are very close. Everyone knows we are very close. If they see Melikai, they see me. We are always together. 
he met me and I met him and that was it. I remember when I find out about my HIV status, it was very painful to tell him. I thought, hey, what if I've also infected him? Now I've ruined my life and I've ruined everybody's life. Milkaya, yeah. do you ever wish that maybe we were, you have never have met me? No. <laughs> because the only thing is that I love you. You know that. Yes. But I'm the one who's infected you. I don't want to blame you. You didn't chase after AIDS. You didn't go on top of the mountain and said you want to have AIDS. You know? And I don't want you to blame yourself. Just be strong. Okay. For me, what scares me most is that I think we are not going to die at the same time if we die. I know that you think if you die first, I'm going to have another girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not thinking you must die first. <laughs> no, I'm not thinking you must die first. Really, I'm thinking that if one of us dies, you, how would it be? At I least if we were going to die, die, die at the same, same time. time. <laughs> Give me a kiss for that. Hi, Tim B. My name is Dr. Abrams. How are you doing? I have these pins here. And my neck and head. I'm just going to take your blood. All right. <coughs> I'm just going to examine you now for any other signs of any other opportunistic infections. I'm just opening your mouth. I'm looking for thrush on the tongue, which isn't. Okay. And I'm just going to have a listen to a chest. So you can hear it's more, it's more dull on the right hand side. Fluid in the lungs, covering the whole lung. Okay, you can sit on the bed. You are very thin, very short of breath. Um, you need to be on antiretrovirals. Okay. You do need the ARVs to bring up your CD4 count and to bring down the virus. Okay. All right. <coughs> Testing one, two, one, two. This is Tembi again. It's been a few months since I've been talking to you. The reason that I didn't record was that I, I didn't want to hear my sick voice. I didn't want people to see me like this and hear me like this. I couldn't even look in the mirror. The way that I looked, my face was sort of becoming bones, you see, and dark. And my eyes were kind of big. And I was shaking. I couldn't walk. All the things that were happening, I thought they would never happen to me. My boyfriend, Melkaya, he was very, very worried. He would plead me to go to the hospital. I just wouldn't want to go. I was afraid of the way 
people are going to look at me. People will stare. They start to point. Look at her. Look at her. She's so small. I just wanted to sit home and hide myself in the bed. Then my mother showed up. When she came into the house, she kind of stared at me. Because the last time she saw me, I was fine. And now I'm thin like this. Then she said, And that means, My child, why are you like this? I just look into her eyes. She was very afraid. And I just, I just look at her. And I said, I don't think I'm going to live for long. And she said, okay, don't worry, I'm going to take you to the hospital. Then she put me on her back. And she took me to the hospital. Oh, hold on a minute. This is Tembi again. That was my cell phone alarm. It does that every day at 9 a.m. and at 9 p.m. When it rings, I take my ARVs. I'm very lucky to be in a community that supplies ARVs because in some areas they are not available. The ARV stands for antiretrovirals. Antiretrovirals are medicines that help to fight the virus. You must take them the rest of your life. Okay, I swallow them. That's it. I wish I didn't have to drink these. <clears throat> it's been about a month now since I've started ARVs. In two weeks' time, I could walk and breathe and do things. So when I look back, I just... I think it was some kind of a miracle or something. Let me see outside what the day looks like. I'll show you around my neighborhood. So it's a bright, beautiful day. People are all out. They're starting to wash their laundries, putting them on the line. Music is coming from every house. I just love it today. My neighborhood is very crowded. Mostly people live in shacks. There's this shack behind the shack. Oh, there's this house behind the house. There's a shack behind the shack. There's another shack. A lot of people. And now here's my friend. Okay, she's going to the shop. See you later. Bye bye. Nokzola is one of my friends. She lives nearby. She was diagnosed HIV positive in 1999. She has two daughters. There are a lot of us here in Kalisha who are sick, but the people don't disclose because they are scared of discrimination. People do talk, do point, people do whisper. And sometimes if they hear that someone is HIV, they burn your house down so that you can't stay there anymore. In the past, our parents were suffering from apartheid. They wanted to be free. 
and now it is the same with HIV and AIDS. This is the new struggle. Knock knock. Right now I'm at my mother's house. Hello everyone. This is my mother. Hello. Hi Honorable. I'm back. Well, I have to tell you something now that will come to you as a surprise. My boyfriend Milka and I have a baby. This is Onwabo. She's almost one year old. She's got many toys. And this one is her favorite. It makes a sound like this. I know what people might be thinking, but Onwabo is fine. We gave a drug called AZT when I was in labor. She's been tested and she's HIV negative. Isn't that true, Onwabo? <laughs> she says, yes, it's true. I didn't want people to know that I was pregnant. What I thought was I didn't have the right to have a baby. I thought maybe if I had a baby, maybe in hospital they are going to arrest me. Sometimes I think maybe it was not a right thing to do. But I just, I just wanted it so bad. Do you understand why I wanted to have a baby? My daughter, I did understand. But can you explain to me? Okay, I, I felt like I felt like I needed to have something that I can live for. Something that I can call my own. Oh, you, you didn't care you have me. <laughs> no, we are old. <laughs> and we are not mine, we are your mother's baby. So I wanted my own. <laughs> the way that I care about Onwabo, and the way that I love her, it makes me think about how my mother feels about me. My mother has clothed me, feeded me, raised me, and now, at the end of the day, she must also bury me. I was supposed to be the one that was going to look after her. She had put me on her back when I was young. Now that I'm old, she must also again put me on her back. That is not right. My parents don't live together. They live in different townships, but not far. My father is kind of an old-fashioned person. It's like to him, I'm this child. He really adores me. But my dad doesn't know that I have AIDS. I haven't told him. I felt like I could tell the whole world, but not him. And now I feel like I've been hiding so long, I just have to tell him. Because he's my father. I just want him to hear it from me. Okay. <laughs> Here we are at my dad's house and it's raining a lot. Okay. My father's shack, uh, the roof is made with tins. You can hear because the rain sounds so loud. I'm done now. I'm not going to go to school. 
He has just asked me whether I'm going back to school. Yes, I'm going to go to school next year. Okay. Okay. Dead? Yes. Before, in the past, there was no epidemic like AIDS, and now people are suffering from it. So how do you and the other old people think about it? Okay. It's hard for us, we old people. You close the kid up now. Tomorrow, the kid is dead. You see, that's why I get angry of this disease. There was no problem before, but now it becomes a big problem. Jesus. Okay, uh, I have news that I have to tell you. I was trying to tell you, but I just couldn't, yeah. I just couldn't. But I just, I don't want you to feel like I'm hiding some things from you. Okay, my kid. Okay, uh, three years ago, I was discovered HIV positive. I have AIDS. Oh, my. But everything is under control. I am on ARVs, my health is fine. I'm going to the good doctors. So I don't need you to worry about anything. Yeah, yeah. don't need you to worry. Just for you to know, because it has been kept a secret for a long time. Okay. I felt like I, I have disappointed you. I thought that it was going to break you into pieces. Mm-hmm. See? How do you feel? I feel... Uh... I feel bad, you see. But what can I do? I have to accept it. What can I do? Okay, my kid. Okay. My mother always said that you must be tough. Even if you are feeling hurt inside. Must not always be jelly belly, cry, 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 cry. Telling my dad was one of the hardest things that I've ever done. But I didn't want to cry. He must see just a tough face. I just wanted him to see that I was not afraid. And that I'm going to be okay. Right now, I'm making a bottle for Onwabo. This is her sucking the bottle. Okay, now it's almost um, half past ten at night, and we are preparing ourselves for a sleep. Good night. Where is the other blanket? She's already asleep. Milka is already in bed. As always, I'm the last person to sleep. Oh. I'm just imagining what this world would be like without me. I'm not scared of dying, but I'm scared of not being here. Leaving my baby behind. I just want enough time to see her grow a little bigger. It is not going to bring me down. I am the one who's got hands and feet and mind. 
and it's only something that is inside my blood. So it will try to rule maybe inside, but outside I'll be the boss. I want to study further, I want to have a great job. There are a lot of things that I want to get done. I'm just going on with my life. I'm just going on with my life. Okay. Inulas <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to a youth radio special about HIV and AIDS here on KUNM 89.9 FM. Stay tuned for Spoken Word. I say when the time to die